Hello, everybody. Excited to be with you today and very happy to have the next guest we have with us today, Craig Andrews, Principal Ally at Allies For Me. Craig, how you doing? Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. I'm doing very well. How about yourself? Doing great. Thank you. Um, it's great to meet you at the conference here in Las Vegas and, and get to spend some time with you and uh, excited to have our team spend more time with your team as well because you guys are, really do some really interesting things. So for our audience, why don't you give us just a quick high level of what you guys do? Okay, so we're uh, marketing consultants, and we work specifically with people who have high-dollar products or services that have long sales cycles uh, that require a high level of trust. And so the other way we like to put it is if you can buy it on Amazon, we're not right for you. So give us a couple examples of some of the types of customers you're working with. Yeah. What kinds of products? So in the B2C space, it would be financial advisory services. You know, so the trust is about as high as it gets. You're sure. asking somebody to hand over their life savings for you to manage. Uh, we do some work in uh, professional liability insurance for attorneys. Great. And uh, we've done things in hearing aids, which, um, although it's a consumer good, they're very expensive, or at least, you know, they used to be, you know, $5,000 a year. You know, so things that people are going to take uh, more time in, in the consideration phase, they're not going to go straight to a website and just purchase. Awesome. And, and tell me a little bit about what your company does specifically for these different businesses. Yeah, so we actually go from throughout the entire journey uh, from, uh, and let me frame it this way, we like to think of things in stages of courtship. You start off with an introduction, then you have conversation. If conversation goes well, then you have coffee. If coffee goes well, then you have dinner. And then if dinner goes well, then you have commitment. And we would actually go one step further uh, on the tail end. After somebody becomes a customer, we have a couple stages there that we uh, try to engineer so that uh, they loyalty. are uh, loyalty, but that they're delighted. We have a, what we call a delight stage. And the key element is, um, you know, when somebody makes a big commitment, a big purchase, they, they have buyer's remorse and self-doubt. And, and depending upon what type of exit clauses you have from the contract, that can be a scary time. So what we try to do is engineer something after they've signed the papers that they don't know that's coming. It's not a deal sweetener, but it's something, it's an extra gift, not a shirt or a mug or some crap like that, uh, but something that speaks to their core values or their core reason for engaging. Yeah. And what that does is when you do that and it comes as a surprise, if you do it well, they realize that your goals are their goals and it helps put away that uh, buyer's remorse and self-doubt. That's awesome. And so kind of sweeten it at the end when it's unexpected, when it's not part of the deal, but give them a little extra love, show them you care and really try to fortify that relationship. Right. Which is what's going to build a loyalty in the long run. Exactly. Um, I love what you said about that kind of five steps to commitment. Um, and interestingly, uh, you know, very early on in that is conversations. Right. Starting conversations. Exactly. Um, which, you know, I won't get into because, you know, that's like what I <laughs> scream about all day long um, and why we're having conversations and cocktails. Um, but tell me a little bit about some of what you've been seeing with, with your customers. I know you, you pay a lot of attention to the customer journey and making it one coherent kind of stream of experience. Um, how do you guys look at that journey and what are you seeing ahead in that field? 
Yeah, so the, you know, the interesting thing is we're at some level, if we started about talking about conversations, we're ripping off a strategy that the Michelin brothers uh, did to sell tires. I don't know if you know the origin of the Michelin Guide, uh, but it goes back to 1900. The Michelin brothers were trying to figure out how to sell tires. And at the time, the uh, anybody that had an automobile was rich and they had a driver to drive it for them. So the Michelin brothers decided they would rate restaurants and inns in the French countryside away from Paris. And they would write it up in a guide and they would give it to the chauffeurs who then would ingratiate themselves to their bosses by saying, hey, I know of this wonderful inn in Deauville and there's a few restaurants there. Why don't we drive up to Deauville for the weekend? There's a Michelin restaurant there, isn't there? Well, that's the thing. That's, yeah. the, that's where Michelin came from. Wow. Well, I'm just putting that together. <laughs> that, that is the origin of the Michelin stars. Oh, wow. And so what happened was the chauffeurs became more valuable to their boss by recommending these wonderful inns and restaurants. And they would drive up to Deauville or wherever, and they'd wear out the tires on the way there. And then they'd drive back and wear out the tires. And when they needed new tires, who were they thinking about? They were thinking about Michelin. Wow. That is quite the strategy. I didn't, re- I didn't understand that backstory before. So I, uh, I just thought they pivoted hard no. <laughs> from tires to reviewing restaurants. And um, that's super interesting. So what's, uh, what's good, uh, well, what's bad is, or harder is a lot of people have caught on to this type of content strategy. So what used to be an uncrowded space is now very crowded. Yeah. And uh, the quality of content that you have to put out and the way you have to position it is getting a lot harder. Yeah. You know, it used to be you could have, you know, some dopey guide and it was the only one on the internet, so everybody would download it. Now you have competition. Yeah, certainly. But, you know, back to your point about conversations, we, um, I think the industry term for these things are called lead magnets. And we don't like that term. We, we kind of find it a little bit mercenary. So we actually call them conversation starters. Yeah. So when you're saying that you're all about conversations, the content we offer yeah. to try to get people engaged, we literally call them conversation starters. I, I love that because I think everyone should be measuring their funnel and progress through the lens of how many conversations are you starting? Right. You know, too many people talk about leads, leads, leads. I talked about this on the talk. And I, I think there's a whole paradigm shift happening in the marketing world around it's all about how many conversations we're striking up right. with, with customers. I know it sounds obvious, but so many people, they look at it in, in too much of a step one, step two, step three lead. You know, they look at it as part of a funnel, but it's the conversation that builds the relationships that wins the business. Exactly. And so it, it's the most important part of it. Um, very interesting. Yeah. So um, tell me a little bit about, you know, you are from, you're in Austin now, but you grew up in Maryland um, what took you to Austin? So I, I took a circuitous route um, in high school. I was not what they would call a model student. So I actually went in the Marine Corps for six years out of high school. Wow. And the Marines took me a lot of places. Most commonly, they took me to North Carolina. And so when I got out of the Marines, I went to the university in North Carolina. Uh, not at the university. I went to NC State. And important difference. And... Uh, <laughs> And I lived in North Carolina for a long time. Um, at the time, I was doing marketing uh, for uh, semiconductors, high tech. And there was a company that had been recruiting me to Austin for a couple of years. 
And finally, it made sense. I moved to Austin. And ironically, within two years of getting here, they sold our division. And they sold it to a big Dutch uh, company. And uh, I'd worked for a big European company before. And I decided that was better suited for different people. Yeah. And so went off and started my own thing. Yeah. And now, and now you're principal ally, yes. which is a title you guys use for president, essentially, CEO yeah. or president. Well, everybody, everybody has a title ally. And we, we don't have a whole lot of title differentiation, but it kind of keeps our focus. We try to do in the same way that we rename lead magnets to conversation starters because we believe that puts us in the right mindset. Uh, the title ally puts us in the right mindset to serve our clients. And so I'm a principal ally. Um, everybody's some type of ally. We have allies and we have principal allies. Yeah. And that's about basically it. But yeah, I'm the, the president of the organization. But talk about using, you know, nomenclature and, and words. <laughs> I like words. To, you know, instill a certain feeling or emotion in your role. I mean, that's so interesting. I'd love to look at how I can apply that internally. Um, but that's, I, I love that you guys do that. And you're so aligned um, with your mission, which, you know, is, is kind of to be your customer's ally and helping them solve their biggest problems. Yeah. And I think it's, I mean, it, it may be subtle, but I think it's so easy to lose track of who we're serving. And the worst person to lose track of is when you quit serving the customer, whether it's us uh, working through our clients to serve their customers or us serving them. When you get to that point, things start going bad. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's just too competitive a world to not be relentlessly focused on serving your customer. Being as consumer-centric as possible. Yeah. Uh, it's Amazon's kind of stated mission, right? To be yeah. the most consumer-centric company. And I think they're doing okay. I haven't checked recently, but I think they're doing okay. Um, you know, um, you guys, you said you work with the companies that have, you know, big ticket items, long sell cycles. Um, so presumably these are people that aren't clicking through and buying something automatically like Amazon, to right. your point. Um, they are coming on websites. They are filling out forms. Um, and then companies are reaching out to them to qualify them, presumably, and book appointments or, or consultations. Yes, and it's it's interesting. You bring up an interesting point that we're covering in our talk at the conference today. There's a huge disconnect that happens uh, between the uh, customer and the sales team when they get on the initial call. So according to HubSpot data, 60% of customers when connect uh, during the consideration phase. So they haven't made up their mind yet. They're trying to get better educated so they can make a better decision. Well, sales folks get on the call and they're trying to qualify them. Yeah. And so you have a little bit of a disconnect. Uh, so one of the things in our framework is we say, don't try to sell your core offer. When you get on the phone with a prospect, don't sell the core offer. Recognize where they are in the journey. They're trying to self-educate. And so we have something we call a first-time offer which is like a coffee date in that relationship model. Low risk, low commitment. Um, it has a number of traits, but one of the things it does is it helps the prospect self-educate so they can make a better decision. Now, you hope they choose you, but you have to give them the freedom. Again, mindset of serving the customer, you have to structure it so they have the freedom 
to decide not to work with you at the end of that. Sure. And, and almost approach it, not from a position of, I have someone on a Zoom now, I need to close them, but more so, I, I want to take a consultative approach to really understand where they're at, what they really need. Hey, sometimes we're not the right solution. Yes. And there's no better way to build trust than to say, you know what? I, I could sign you up, but you probably wouldn't be as successful as if you looked at this service, which really caters to what you really need. And we're not the best in the world at that. We're the best in the world at this. Yes. Um, and I think that creates so much trust and it's rare uh, because people are just trying to make quotas. But when you, when you really build a relationship and you really care about the consumer, you, you also care about their success, not just about them helping you get to quota. Right. And, uh, and I think that's an important differentiator. Well, and there's something we can't hide. You know, unless you're a bona fide sociopath, and I'm not trying to be sarcastic, yeah. you know, sociopaths can disconnect their, their body language from their emotions. Most of us can't. And so as hard as you may be trying to not sell or appear like you're selling, they you come pick, off salesy. You come off salesy. And as soon as somebody realizes they're being sold, they put their guard up. Yeah, because they're in the information gathering stage. It's a long sell cycle. Especially right. in your world with your kinds of customers. Yes. And, and same for Verse. We, we work with the same kinds of customers, insurance and healthcare and solar and mortgage. These aren't people that are clicking through and get a mortgage. Right. Right. They're clicking through and they want to know, well, how are you different than them? And what are your rates? Right. And, and same, same about solar. So many people are trying to inform themselves first before making these big decisions. And this is a $30,000, $40,000, you know, job. Uh, these are big investments. Um, and so we also take that same approach of being consultative to build that trust, but ultimately to really understand what the person needs. Right. Because when you do that, you can actually offer the perfect solution. And, you know, your company, ours, and so many others, they don't have one solution. We have right. a family of, of solutions to cater to different aspects. And so it's about how do you actually put those ingredients together perfectly for this person? It's like being a chef and having a picky eater come and saying, Hey, I, 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 you know, and, and really learning about what they like. I, they don't like spicy. They don't like garlic. They, they love seafood. They, and then you can actually present them the perfect dish that they're going to love and be delighted and invite their friends to come to dinner with them next time. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are just trying to sell them the lobster as quickly as possible. Well, and one of my, um, one of my buttons is when somebody comes in and tries to fix a problem, they haven't taken time to understand. And I can pick up on it quickly. They start offering solutions. I'm like, you haven't asked me three questions. How do you know that this is the right solution? Yeah. And I would imagine others are very much like that. If they, yeah, and again, they just pick up, you're just trying to sell me. Yeah. You're just trying to sell me. Whereas if you actually help them solve a small problem, then it's much more likely that they'll trust you to solve a bigger problem. Absolutely. So, Let's turn to a bit on the conversion metric side of things. So, you know, you're, you're helping these companies. Let's take an insurance company, for example. You help them build the website, optimize it, create the campaigns, create the ad, um, driving traffic. Now someone fills out a form. Now the company is hopefully going to engage them quickly and follow up. Where do you see the drop-off usually in that handoff? Yeah, so the... The biggest challenge always is the transition from marketing to sales. And it's really hard and for the tone to not change. And even if 
you know, in marketing, we're, we're always trying to make sure we're using the language of our client uh, and using, we listen to what, how they say things, uh, the way they frame them. And if we're making adjustments, they're just mild adjustments so that it still sounds like something that the company says when they get a customer on the phone. But the disconnect comes, um, you know, I had a professor say, tell me how I'm paid and I will tell you how I will act. And so when you have a team that's paid on commission, they get somebody on the phone and it's, they're sitting there trying to close them. And so they've had all this marketing material come in. That's all about, let me serve you. Let me help you. Let me help you educate. And if that tone changes too much, uh, then they're like, whoa, something just happened. I've, I've been tricked. Yeah. And that's hard to overcome. Absolutely. And, and do, you, um, do you experience your customers having drop-off from the moment you're generating a prospect to the moment they get them on the phone? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's drop-off at different levels. I mean, the, um, you know, so I had um, something we see somewhat frequently. Somebody will fill out one of the, uh, the forms to get one of our conversation starters, and they get an email that delivers the piece of content. They get the piece of content, and they immediately unsubscribe from the email. That's a drop-off. Sure. We've even had somebody mark that email delivering the content they just requested. Spam. As spam. And so, you know, you have a drop-off there. And you just have to accept the fact that the world's made up of a variety of different people. Yeah. And they're probably not a good, good match, you know, a good customer for you or for our client. Um, then we, um, you know, we'll put people in nurturing campaigns and uh, try to warm them up. And some people drop out of those campaigns. Uh, but, you know, so you have a little bit of a drop off there. Uh, but a lot of them will... As, they, as you continue to engage them, as long as you're continually delivering value, they see you as a source of value. Sure. And that helps us accelerate the, um, the call. Now, one of the things that I heard you talking about this morning that really struck my interest was accelerating that conversational phase, coming in via text rather than relying on, on emails. And you know, that, that really caught my attention because... That is a real problem, especially since so many people are providing content. It's a lot harder to provide content that differentiates because the content that's out there, it's getting a lot better these days. Yeah, and, and you know, when people raise their hand and say, I'm interested in something, and a white paper may be different. They're not asking to be contacted yet. They're just still, like, educating themselves. But when someone really raises their hand and says, I'm interested... One of the things that we always find with companies that we're working with is it can take those companies hours or days to finally get back to those prospects. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah. And there's no worse experience as a consumer. I mean, I experience this all the time. You know, if, if, if I have having plumbing issues, there's a leak or my toilet is broken, I'm going down Yelp or wherever trying to find somebody to help me out. And there's nothing more frustrating than when you spend the time to do that and offering your business up and people don't respond quickly to you. Right. Um, it makes you feel like they don't care, like they don't value you, and like you're just one in, uh, you know, 100 others on their list. You're not really that important. Right. Um, and so, you know, that, that's why we really focus on trying to instantly launch a conversation. That conversation isn't 
salesy. It's about how can we help you, you know, who, and trying to figure out where to send them, right? Who, who's the best person? What's the right team? What's the right solutions department that can assist them with what they're looking for? Because when someone does that and fills out a form, they're usually asking for help. Um, and so I, I see it as our mission to be there to help them. Right. And, you know, you mentioned email. And, you know, I, I, I mentioned in the talk that email is important and valuable. But with a 22% open rate, it's, it's not the most effective way, right, to engage new customers. And some people will have higher. Yeah. But, um, but I, I think what's really powerful about SMS in particular is the ability to instantly launch a conversation and for that consumer to be able to talk back on their time, on their terms, you know, in a very frictionless way. Without pressure. Yeah, and I, and I think that's the key. It's the without pressure. And that's where the, um, again, that's where that disconnect comes in, is moving from serving them to, you know, trying to close them and being very obvious that you're trying to close them. Yeah, absolutely. So, so what do you see coming down the pipe? Like, what's the future in your space? What are some of the technologies or strategies that are changing? Yeah, so... Before I even go there, what I would say is the future is what we're, we're all witnessing. <clears throat> you know, the, uh, the Fed just jacked the rates uh, three quarters of a percent, you know, after raising them a half percent you know, a month earlier. Um, I think selling is about to get very hard. You know, the, uh, the definition of, of inflation is when you have too many dollars chasing too few resources. Well, in that environment, if you have resources, selling is easy. Yeah. Um, we're about to, I believe we're about to move into an environment where it's a lot harder. And so the, let me approach it from the trends that I think will take place and then we can back it up with technology. So the, um, the, thank you. The trends that Great I Great service here on the podcast. Yes, indeed. Just got some nice hot tea. Um, so... I think people that are, for lack of a better phrase, greedy salespeople, I think they're about to enter a very, very hungry time. And I think life is going to be hard for them. And I think companies that aren't looking to add value uh, and aren't adding significant value uh, is, are about to have a, a hard time. The yeah, market disruptions just squeeze people out. Right. And then the stronger people don't just survive, but they thrive during those markets. Right. And there's, you know, there was a, there, a book that was published a number of years ago called The Challenger Sale that goes um, all the way back into the Great Recession just over a decade ago. And they looked at uh, 6,000 sales reps from across 90 different companies. And they ran the data and they gave it to a data scientist and the data scientist came back and said, look, we have five sales styles here. And each sales style represents 20%. I'm guessing they adjusted the, you know, the sample to make sure everything worked out to 20%. And what they found out, two key things. One, 54% of complex sales revenue came from one persona. Wow. Second thing is, it wasn't the relationship builder. Uh, it was a persona that was called the challenger. Now, that term is greatly misunderstood. People think of challenger as being confrontational. Uh, the challenger, by that definition, is somebody who challenges you to view the world differently than you presently do. 
in a way that changes the way that you want to do business. And so the, the challenger we would like to say is the master of the pivot. You know, so uh, I had a sales guy train me years ago who said, Craig, when you run into resistance, turn around, run the other way. He was a relationship builder. That's the behavior of the relationship builder. Well, the challenger pivots and responds, but continues to challenge the customer in a general way. Um, but the other thing, and this is where this is relevant, is they found that the challenger's sales numbers didn't change whether it was in the recession or not. But the relationship builder suffered the most. Wow. And so when we're talking about change, I think that's really going to be what's there. So let's back that up with technology. What's the technology that's going to have somebody coming in asking for X and you realize they really need Y? How are you going to facilitate that play, that conversation where you challenge them to view the world differently? And I do believe that's going to be through more conversational means, whether it starts with what we call conversation starters, where they download a document with the hopes that it starts a conversation. But I also think with what you're doing is they have the opportunity to hit, you know, stop or whatever the code is to stop the, uh, the text messages. And the second you're not serving them, they're out of there. Yeah. Uh, but to be able to facilitate uh, those conversations that help them view the world differently because they're coming to you with a problem. And if you answer their problem like everybody else out there, you have no differentiation and you're really adding no value. Yeah. And, and if you look at like frequencies, you know, someone said, you know, when you're on the same frequency, you connect with somebody. Uh, you, I could be, I could call someone on the other side of the world and connect with them in an instant because the phones are on the same frequency or the, the line. And I think it's the same in sales. It's really about you know, the customers at a certain frequency, at a certain mindset, the way they view the world. And you have to, I think, meet them where they are to truly understand the way they view the world. Right. And then you can start to show them a different way, a better way, uh, the way you see the world. And frankly, it's the reason why they came to you. They came to you because they want to be convinced of something new. They want to be open to new ideas. And together you can elevate that frequency back up and stay connected and aligned. And I think that's one of the most powerful ways to really build that relationship. So do you have any, do you have any quotes that um, would like favorite quote or, or some kind of saying you guys have at the company? Oh, well, uh, one of our sayings is unless what you're selling is both illegal and addictive, nobody wants to be on your sales funnel. Awesome. We haven't gotten that one before. <laughs> That's so, funny. Uh, and then there's some uh, personal favorites. I, um, you know, General Patton um, talked about uh, one of his quotes was a, a good plan violently executed today beats a perfect plan executed tomorrow or I think next week, something like that. But the whole idea of come up with a good idea and just start executing. And don't let perfect be the enemy of great. Right. And, and what's really interesting, the, you know, if you look back at Patton's success record, he was the only Allied commander that uh, Field Marshal Rommel feared. And he would just get... He would say, here's what we're going to do. And he would go do it at lightning speed and allowed him to defeat a very, very powerful, very 
uh, technically advanced German army. That's awesome. And I think that's how, you know, certainly startups, but any kind of growing company, I think needs to, needs to look at the world, yeah. you know, and you gotta, you gotta move fast, you gotta be decisive and have conviction about what you're doing and try it out. Um, so I love that. Thank you for sharing. I know before we wrap up, I know you have um, some gifts for our viewers. Yeah, so let me give a little intro. So we mentioned briefly first-time offer. This is one of the cornerstones of what we do. It's a, uh, we call it the coffee dates, low-risk thing, and it has a few traits. Uh, it's a irresistible offer. Uh, it is a um, impulse purchase. That means the coins in the cushion of your couch or the money in your wallet or the B2B equivalent of that. Most importantly, that means you want it to be a dollar amount that nobody's ever going to be held accountable for how they spent. So Mike's remove that barrier that somebody can spend and yeah, maybe I'll learn something. If I don't, I'm just out a few bucks. Yeah. Uh, it has to deliver a disproportionate high uh, level of value to price. Uh, it has to solve a problem, but leave problems unsolved. And it has to naturally lead to the next step. We found that to be the most powerful trust building element in our whole framework. But I fumbled around for 18 months trying to get this right. And I made, I wouldn't think I made every mistake in the process. There's probably a few I haven't made yet. But I made a bunch of mistakes and I figured out how to avoid those. And so we've put that together in two forms. We have a, um, we have a guide to building a first-time offer. And we have a, a course, how to build a first-time offer course. Uh, and so anybody... Uh, that's listening to this podcast, if they would like those, uh, just go to the URL, uh, alliesforme.com slash trustverse. Uh, and just for clarification, the four is the number four in alliesforme.com. We'll put it there on the bottom as well on the oh, video. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. Alliesforme.com slash trustverse. Trustverse. Thank you for that. Yeah. And, uh, and just a clarification on the course, that gets you 23 days access to awesome. the course. Um, and there's a number of reasons that we limit it. One of the reasons is if there's not a limit on it, you won't use it. Yeah. And yeah. we want you to change your business. We want you to thrive in whatever economy we're entering. Awesome. I love it. Thank you so much for that. Um, in closing, any words of advice, wise words of advice for our viewers? Oh, oh, wow. Wise words of advice. You know, I think it just really comes back to when in doubt, serve your customer. You know, there's, um, you know, Brian Eisenberg, somebody who's famous in the conversion community, said, um, you won't achieve your goals until your customer achieves theirs. So just focus on helping your customer achieve their goals. I love that. Something we say at Verse a lot is we succeed when our customers win. Yeah. So uh, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for being on. And uh, best of luck to you ahead and, and the rest of the conference. All right. Thank, Thank you. you so Enjoyed much. it. Cheers. Right. Cheers.